0: The last word with Matt Cooper. And you're very welcome back to the show. Frank Graney here filling in for Matt Cooper today. And I'm delighted to be joined in studio by our Friday panel, Aoife Barry, journalist and broadcaster, and Kieran Cunningham, chief sports writer with the Irish Daily Star. Thank you both very much for coming in. And I might start with you, Aoife, and this is... A mad story. And um, The Road Safety Authority has received 128 complaints of instructors saying what can only be described as the most bizarre, offensive and at times highly imp- inappropriate things to learner drivers. Can you give us a flavour of some of the complaints that have landed on the desk of the RSA?
1: Yeah, one particular driver made comments to a woman about her country of origin and her current address. Uh, according to her complaint, he said, the place you live in is very rough, but I assume it isn't as rough as the country you're from. Um, another person said that the ADI, which is the approved driving instructor, had been physically beating him, striking him on the thigh in the back of his head. But he told the RSA that he'd been too scared to react. And he'd actually done around 30 lessons of this instructor despite all this happening because he was too afraid to actually say anything about it. And then another uh, a woman then said that um, she reported her Instructor, because he put his hand on her knee, give her a massage, and he also made comments on her body. Um, she alleged in the complaint. In the complaint, um, you know, there's, there's there's kind of other complaints about things like time wasting, alleged time wa- wasting, a, a driver uh, instructor pulling someone in just to watch a couple having an argument. There's vulgar language, um, excessive displays of force. Really, I mean, it's really bizarre behavior. It's 128 complaints. Obviously, mm. it's not the majority of um, the instructors or anything, but it's. It's actually wild oh, to see these all detailed. It's, it's, uh, it's
0: incredible. Um, seems to be a sexual tone to a lot of them too, yeah. Kieran. Um mm. You know, uh, one uh, 28-year-old woman who was getting lessons in a driving instructor's car um, said that she, she was described as drop-dead gorgeous by him during the lesson. He asked her if she was single and said, Who's your daddy? 15 times.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: A- incredible stuff. Anything else that's catching your eye from the complaints point of view?
2: Well, uh, just the fact that there's so many, and as you say, you know, there are there are, there are quite a lot of sexist and racist ones, which mm-hmm. which would be very worrying. And you would have to wonder how they're vetted, you know, how, you know, what criteria uh, do you have to meet, you know, uh, like how stringent the standards are before you become an instructor. And I think I probably have the world record for having done the most uh, driving lessons between Uh, When I've been in Dublin, when I worked in Cork, when I worked in London, I think partly it's because I had dyspraxia. Well, I always use that as an excuse, but that affects uh, spatial awareness and your coordination. But uh, I had a few gems of driving instructors over the years (laughs) and who straight away had a serious attitude as soon as you get in and you think... You know, when you're doing lessons, particularly when you're a beginner, you're very nervous. It's, and, you know, yeah, it's a oh, terrifying just, experience. Yes. do you go in and somebody is in a foul mood after two minutes, and you go, you know, like this yeah. is a big deal to me you know and I'm trying to be I'm trying to make me relaxed not put me in no, edge I, I, remember I many many years years ago these kind of comments what
0: that does to yeah. I, I, Absolutely I mean what I was about to say is that I remember doing my um, uh, driving lessons many years ago now and my instructor wouldn't stop talking about Gaelic football now I was happy to talk about Gaelic football but maybe not when I'm learning how, how to drive <laughs> yeah. so I found that extremely distracting extremely unhelpful I can only imagine what these people felt when you know there are incidents here where hands are put on legs, yeah, um, yeah. as you say, there were some there are allegations of physical abuse as well, like it 's incredible stuff and when it comes to um, you know vetting, as you mentioned, Kieran, um, I do understand that these instructors must pass a series of tests and they must also be guard the vetted uh, before receiving accreditation from the RSA. I did find it interesting that um the approved driving instructors union was approached for a comment, but Aoife, they weren't in a position to give one. Yeah,
1: for an interesting reason, the approved driving instructors union is actually in the process of disbanding, it's going to become the Professional Driving Instructors Association so a representative was asked um, you know, could they comment on it they said they weren't in a position to comment because neither organisation really exists at this moment, so you know you would hope that one of the things on the agenda when the Professional Driving Instructors Association does get together and meet, first first meeting is these sorts of complaints Um, Mm -hmm. you know, as someone who's shortly going to be back, back and relearning to drive because I still don't have my license. Um my first driving instructor was so lovely, but I'm so kind of I'm already nervous about going back to it and the <laughs> thought I'm sure they're all lovely. Anybody listening, I'm sure I'd be texting and saying I'm a driving instructor I'm wonderful person. I'm sure most people are yep. but the idea that there are people out there who might not be that nice, I don't think I'd be very um I think it'd be a danger on the road if I had anybody who was treating me the way no. uh, those people were treated. And, and
0: look we will move on from the story but I do want to read out another complaint because last August a person claimed that a driving instructor had Told her to imagine that she had two children in the back seat of the car and that if she didn't drive carefully, she would cause an accident and kill them all.
1: Not very encouraging. My goodness. At all, unfortunately. Not
0: really motivating at all, is it? Uh, let's move on, uh, Kieran, and I might start with you on this one. Gene Simmons, also known as the demon from Kiss, yeah. seems to be showing off his political chops. What's all this about?
2: Well, this is. Uh when I saw this during the week, I, I thought, you know, it looked like something from Waterford Whispers of the Onion mm. or something. That, it's mad, uh, isn't it? And he was calling for, um, you know, the return of Stormont and that he was a guest of Ian Paisley. And, uh, and you know, he's talking about wanting to visit the doll, that, uh, you know, he's been there before and he wants to visit again. And he, he has been very politically engaged in some ways in his life. Um, like he's a, when you look at him, you wouldn't think, but he's a non non-drinker. Very anti-drugs, but he's um, he's caused
1: controversy. What's that? Former teacher as
2: well. Yeah, for, but he's a controversy with a lot of stuff he said over the years. Uh, um, he's from Israel. His his mother was in a concentration camp. Like he's, and I, I think his background just coloured a lot of his political views. But mm. to have him teaming up with Ian Paisley, uh, like it just it's you don't really associate Kiss with um, Free Presbyterian Church or the Democratic Unionists. But uh, I did see that uh, Ian Paisley was quoted as uh, saying he liked the jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, it just reminds me of... um, I I think that may have actually been Jeffrey Jeffrey Donaldson. Donaldson. Yeah, Yeah. Donaldson, yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey Donaldson. The DUP leader. And he he said he liked the jam. Yeah. And it reminds me of uh, David Cameron. Very political answer. Yeah, (laughs) when David Cameron was the uh, English Prime Minister... Uh, he, he he outed himself as a jam fan and said his favourite song was Eatin' Rifles which wow. I think he didn't really listen to the lyrics. I think just the <laughs> no, no. a but Paul Weller <laughs> said he's not allowed to like the jam. So <laughs> well, I think Paul Weller might say something similar about Geoffrey uh, well, Dunn. I,
0: I think it's a mad story, Aoife. You know, the Stormont government as we all know hasn't been operational for more than a year now and that's because of Jeffrey Downs' party's ongoing boycott mm-hmm. in protest against post Brexit trading agreements. Could Gene Simmons be the man to give the Northern Assembly, excuse the pun, the kiss of life <laughs> it so desperately needs?
2: Well,
1: what I find interesting about this is that part of the reason why he visited was because a member, member of his team was in touch with the DUP, or in touch um, at least with Paisley, um, to try and get them to get permission to fly their private jet into London. So there is, you know, obviously. You know, they know a lot about discussions going on behind the scenes and stuff like that. So I don't know if he would be able to pass on some of his negotiating skills. Mm-hmm. But it does seem really it must be strange, I think, if you live up north particularly and you're watching a visitor like this being brought by the DUP around the House of Commons for a little trip when actually Stormont hasn't sat for, you know, so long and when you have yeah. all these actual very serious political events happening and then you see something like this happen. Now Gene Simmons is very is entitled as a visitor to go visit wherever he wants, but I think it's jarring to see kind of a, a lighter story like this when actually there's serious political ramifications for what's actually happening and yeah. that st- stalemate, you know, is not the first stalemate that's happened um, as well with Stormont too. So, funny, but, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, interesting contrast. Uh, let's let's move on and we have almost approached the ad break, but I do want to ask about a story that we covered on the show earlier this week, Kieran, that of Prince Harry and his legal suit against the publisher of the newspaper the Daily Mirror and this is an allegation that his phone was hacked and that um you know stories made it into mainstream media on the back of of those less than I suppose upstanding journalistic tactics what did you make of his performance in the witness box over the week
2: uh I, well I find I find the whole Prince Harry thing interesting bit, uh, maybe because um of the ghostwriter he had, uh, J.R. Moringer, who I would have read a lot over the years, like his book with Andre Agassi, um, his memoir, The Tender Bar. Like he's a very, uh, very interesting guy. And he did an article in The New Yorker about the process of um, of uh, ghosting the book. And it, it was the first time I'd really given any thought to what Prince Harry has gone through in his life. And he made it very clear uh, you know, there were different things that uh, Moringer wanted to put in the book and he was against putting the book. And it was because uh, Moringer didn't realise the impact of what happened to his mother and particularly in the media treatment had on him. And he was trying to explain to him, it was a big part of the process of explaining that. And this is... Um, that, that's where Harry's attitude towards English media is rooted, I think. And uh, I, I cannot imagine what his life was like. Like, a lot of people seem to um, have it in for him and Meghan Markle but uh, like I wouldn't have I wouldn't have Prince Harry's life for anything no matter what the money I think it's been it's been a, a horror from a very young age.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, what are your own thoughts, Eva?
2: Yeah,
1: I think it's interesting because it's like Prince Harry's really suffered because of the treatment by the paparazzi. I mean, if you look at the documentary that himself um, and his wife Megan had out on Netflix, um was it last year? There were scenes of them and I remember this from growing up as well because they're similar ages to me. I'm a bit well a bit younger, but the, you know, images of him and his mom skiing um with the family and the paparazzi just in their faces and Princess Diana having to constantly go over and say we just leave my kids alone. Them have a life. Obviously, they grew up in the in the royal family. They're going to have a lot of scrutiny anyway. But it feels like he's suffered a lot because of it. Mm. But unfortunately, I think in his attempts to try and raise awareness, he often falls foul of the fact that he actually has to do that publicly and ends up doing things like going and chatting to Oprah and doing kind of you know very um, you know out there um, celebrity style publicity things like the Netflix documentary, which then means people don't. Some people don't have a lot of sympathy for him. But the bottom line is, he is someone who has suffered. Um, I think this particular case is interesting because it's yet yet again. Again, another alleged phone hacking case. We've already seen these happen before. The Leveson inquiry into the, into News International's involvement um, in a previous situation, and the allegations here, you know, are ones people were very interested in. You know, the idea that young teenage Harry, as a young guy, he was seeing these stories about him, the ex girlfriends, about going to strip clubs, these sort of things. He didn't want happening. You can see why he's using using this as a chance to say, you know, this is what was going on. This is what I had to put up with. Uh, whether or not the court will find in his favour or not, that's that's you know, we wait to wait to see. But it does show that he actually really did go through a huge amount of intense pressure that Mm -hmm. you really wouldn't wish on anybody at such a formative age.
0: Yeah, Okay. There is an incredible story um, from Australia about a mother who spent 20 years behind bars, wrongly convicted for murdering her children. We're going to talk about that after this. And you're very welcome back to the show. Frank Graney here filling in for Matt Cooper and Kieran Cunningham, Chief Sports Writer with The Daily Star and Eva Barry, journalist and broadcaster, is still with us for our Friday panel and has been a huge response to one of our items about complaints to the RSA in relation to driving instructors. I couldn't read out half of them, to be honest. They're truly shocking. Uh, but this one listener to 087, or the text in to 087 says, my driving instructor pulled me over in the middle of Mullingar Town I thought it was part of the lesson until he jumped out of the car to go put a bet on the Grand National. Oh, just no incredible way. and as I say some of the text messages that have been coming in I, I, I couldn't read them out on there um, let, let's move on and, and I might start with you on this one Kieran. this is a remarkable story a woman called uh, Catherine Falbig, um who has been released from prison in Australia after spending what 20 years behind bars you might tell us who she is and, and why she's made international headlines this week
2: yeah well I, I don't know if anybody would remember the case in 2003 like, um, because you know, it did garner quite a bit of publicity at, at the time because it was a remarkable uh, murder case because she was accused of killing her four children and found guilty of it. And, you know, she was called all sorts of things, a baby killer, Australia's worst mother, a monster. But she always maintained her innocence and um, she had been wor- she, even behind bars. You know, she'd been working, um, there'd uh, there'd been people working with her and even the gut scientists involved, including Nobel laureates, that eventually got her freed. And uh, her four children all died between the age of 19 days and 18 months. Um, The prosecutors alleged that she had smothered them. Her husband believed that as well and he actually testified against her. But um, the evidence, uh, uh, the scientific evidence that has emerged now in the last uh, recently that led to her being acquitted, um, pointed to genetic mutations that, you know that she wasn't at fault. But uh, there are people, including her husband, who don't believe her, who still think that she did kill the, the four children. But uh, the, it's been called one of the worst miscarriages of justice in Australian history by our lawyers, and they say it's an example of unreliable and misogynistic evidence that helped convict her.
0: It, it really is a truly remarkable uh, story, Aoife, and I know Kieran touched on it there, and I suppose the reasons that she was eventually released and the truth did come out was twofold. It was because her friends never gave up on her, and, and also the science, which was which, which was truly remarkable.
1: Yeah, so there was a fresh inquiry that was opened up, and, and it found that there was reasonable doubt about her about guilt because of this new scientific evidence, and basically it was spearheaded, or the research was spearheaded by a person called Carla Vanuysa, who is a professor of immunology and genomic. Genomic Medicine at um, the Australian National University basically she started looking into the case in 2018 because medical experts um, like you mentioned there were getting concerned about the case um, and they sequenced um, Ms. Falbig's DNA and then the team, the professor and her team created a genetic map they used that then to identify mutated genes and they basically found a mutated gene called CAM2G114R and they found that, that was present in the mother Ms. Falbig and then also her two daughters and that's um, actually linked a rare condition which can cause serious cardiac abnormalities. It occurs in about one in every 35 million people. Then they also found that Caleb and Patrick, who were the two sons, had a different genetic mutation, which was linked to sudden onset epilepsy in mice. So because of all these findings, they basically tipped the scales in the case, proving that the chance of the children dying from cardiac abnormalities in infancy was actually disturbingly high compared to the, the chance of her actually taking their lives. So it really, you know, I suppose advances in science, advances in medicine and the fact that this Amount of time is spent doing all of this research. And the case definitely has echoes of cases um, like the Lindy Chamberlain and Azaria Chamberlain case in America, where Lindy Chamberlain said that a dingo had taken her daughter and her daughter was never found. And it wasn't until 2012, 32 years after the case had happened, um, that it was actually confirmed that that the court said that the dingo did take the child. And and that film was made into uh, that story is made into a film starring Meryl Streep, people might remember, um, back about 20 or so, 30 or so years ago. Um, So there are the those cases where that idea of a mother is seen as kind of transgressing the rules of motherhood where she could have been involved in in, in the taking or murder of her children. But in these cases, these two cases, you're saying that actually, despite all of the speculation and all of the kind of, you know, fever pitch attention on it at the time, that actually the truth is a lot more complicated than people actually realised. And it kind of feels like particularly as time has gone on, we maybe don't have the same, or maybe our our attitudes are evolving a little bit with that, or we're actually realising that actually Th- you know, people can are not immediately guilty when they turn up in these cases that there can actually be these things happening. And it's, it's striking to think that there's 30 years in both of those cases it took yeah. um, for some sort of um, new evidence to emerge. So, uh, very shocking and tragic for her. She had a very sad um, early life as well. So, it's been a very tough uh, life. That woman. And tragically, those four children as well, only living a very short period yeah. of time.
0: Um, we're almost out of time, but Kieran, I want to touch on another story that was um, rolling around in. The papers during the week, and and I, I must say I was disgusted to see a personalised pencil of Adolf Hitler's up for sale. Delighted to see it didn't come anywhere near its pre auction estimate. You you might tell us the I suppose the details behind this story.
2: Yeah, well uh, it it went on sale in an auction in Belfast. Uh, Bloomfield Auctions ran it, and uh, they claimed a silver plated pencil was given as a gift to Hitler by his partner Eva Braun, and you know the estimate it was estimated it would go between eight thousand. Um, oh, sorry. I think it was even more than that. Yeah, yeah it was no, like 60 a- or 80 yeah. grand or something. Yeah, it was. Crazy. Yeah, it went for 5,400, went for roughly 10% of mm. what they were uh, expecting. And it was controversial. Like a lot of people said, you know, you shouldn't be selling something like this. But it just reminded me actually one day I was going getting a train in Houston Station. I was browsing in Anitans and Mine Camp was on sale. And I just wondered, like, who buys man by thinks oh, go on a train journey or oh, this will pass a oh nice train gosh. journey yeah. by reading Mein Kampf. and also there's so many TV stations you look at, and they're just every day, they have nothing but programs, but, but uh, programs about like Hitler and Ge- and the Nazis. There, there seems to be an ongoing fascination, and uh, the authenticity of this has been questioned. And mm-hmm. that reminds me of the infamous Hitler diaries that the Sunday Times serialised back in the 80s, which they paid a lot of money for and were shown to be uh, fraudulent
0: uh, it obviously wasn't the only um controversial item up for sale there was also a signed photograph of Hitler and a number of other items purportedly linked to leading Nazis some emblazoned with swastika uh, symbols and there has been a response from the Jewish community Eva
1: Yeah obviously not at all happy about this and and the idea that people are you know making money out of it and also the idea of when you see these items for sale is it encouraging a collector's kind of attitude and we know there are collectors out there who do collect this sort of memorabilia and there's some people who say well you know it's it's an item of historic importance, um, but also the idea that there are thousands of euro being spent yeah. on items that symbolise such a, a horrific, the
0: profiteering horrific from event. It just yeah, and
1: I mean, if you live, you know, depending on the country you live in, obviously if you live in German Germany or Austria, you're, you're um, there are more kind of legal rules around profiting from these sort of items, um, and the, I was reading about a, a recent um, museum exhibition in in Austria where where items were put on display that were linked to um, the Nazi regime, and the question there with people was should these things be displayed? Should they be traded? Should we be allowed to view them? Or what do people think? So there's a, you know obviously an ongoing debate about about it, but I think a lot of people that that, that incident of, of of selling a pencil belonging to Hitler will leave a, a bad taste yeah. I think in a lot of people's yeah. mouths. Um,
0: Eva Barry, Kieran. Connelly him thank you both very much for joining us this evening the last word with matt cooper weekdays from four thirty.
2: today is